June 30, 2020. It's a lot from Pedro's show.
Yeah, well, when I was growing up, there was always music in my family. Um, my parents always bought records. With I remember the seventy eights, and then when the uh, the dance set came into uh, play around, I don't know when it was, late 50s, early 60s, then it was the 45s. And uh, my first record as a kid I bought was um, Cliff Richard, Living Doll. That was the first 45 I bought. And, and his and, band uh, was The Shadows? Yeah, it's Cliff Richard in The Shadows, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, every weekend my parents would normally always have some kind of a little soiree where people would come around and be a kind of party going on and always music playing so it was it was always in me it was in my system and this was glasgow uh yeah it's a place called clyde bank it was about 12 miles northwest of glasgow um it's a big, shipbuilding town the big river uh, where, is the, called where clyde, the Qu right? queen mary was built queen elizabeth the qe2 and a lot of the the, the the war warships and stuff were all built there. It got it got blitzed during during the Second World War. The Nazis bombed it completely because it was a, a main shipbuilding and, and ammunition making. Singer's sewing machine company had a huge big factory there, which was turned into an ammunition uh, factory during the war. Does um, a, a, a Glasgow really ain't on the water? It's up this big river called the Clyde, right? Yeah, River Clyde. Yep, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so. I got to tell you, there was a band from Glasgow that I went and saw young here in the early 70s called the Sensational Alex Harvey Band. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I saw Alex Harvey Band a number of times in Glasgow. Yeah, amazing. And, and what was the main gig? There's, there was a theater downtown, right? Yeah, the, the big theater was called Glasgow Green's Playhouse. Okay. Um, which was through this, I think through the mid, hang on, let me think. I want to say 70... 576 and then it changed its name to the Apollo and that was owned by by a, a, a leisure company in Glasgow called Unicorn Leisure they owned all the, all the clubs, pubs uh, they managed bands uh, so it was a big entertainment company who I actually worked for for a, a number of years but the Apollo or the Greens Playhouse is when I first went there as a kid to see bands it was like but a 5,000 capacity theatre, it was massive. The stage was about 12 foot high. Uh, and if you were in the front few rows, you used to end up with a crooked neck because you were, you were sitting there looking up at everybody on stage. And everyone, the performers, I mean, it, they had to be really, really alert and aware of the height of the stage and the drop. You know, so you bet anybody at any bad eye saying get too close, then they were off the off off the edge, oh. and a few performers did actually fall off. And, uh, I remember I remember doing a show there with Iggy in 1979, actually, and um, he was just you know you know how he is in stage and oh, even yeah. how he was then, and and I, I warned him before he went on. I said, look, whatever you do, just don't get too close to the edge of that stage because if you you fall off, it's not an easy get back up, or you might not even get up. You know, so um, so he was very very aware of it, and, and he kept his uh, his distance from the edge. But an amazing, an amazing, amazing theater. And when it was full, it would the place would be so alive. There was a, a circle balcony when it used to people used to really bounce the whole corners of the balcony because it was kind of shaped in the middle where they used to have the um, the projectors coming out of there. Right. And uh, the whole the whole thing would just look, look, bounce up and down. It was an incredible experience, and I saw an amazing bunch of bands there. The first 
live show. Yeah, what was, was the first gig you saw? It was 1970. I saw 10 years after. Uh-huh. Alvin Lee. Alvin Lee, yeah, yeah. And uh, after that, I just kept going to loads of shows. I saw Derek and the Dominoes, the Armot de Hoople, uh, Emerson Lincoln Palmer, yes, uh, Leonard Cohen. Uh, just so so many people. Would, just a great great list of artists used to come through there, you know. You know, I'm curious because my 70s thing was all arena rock till the movement came. Were you, were you going to clubs too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was... Um, there was a few smaller clubs in, in Glasgow, but it was a different kind of scene even then to what it became, I would say, around about um, 76, 77. It started changing. That's when the whole punk thing came in. So there was regular, almost like bar, lounge gigs were turning into clubs during the week to promote these punk shows that were coming through. And there was almost a show every day of the week somewhere. And venues that were popping up you never heard of before, or or they used to be just like bars you used to go in and drink. And then, um, yeah, they just just clubs were appearing out of nowhere. But I saw just an amazing bunch of shows, like going to like really tiny little sweaty two hundred capacity clubs with virtually no stage with the gears set up on the floor, floor, and you're right there on top of the band, you know. Yeah. What about the school? Because I remember playing at the school, one of the schools there. Uh, without, the Queen Margaret Union was um, was, was one of the, the main touring uh, venues. And then there was Glasgow University, yeah, of course. Yeah, that, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So the, the two union halls, Queen Margaret Union and the, the Glasgow University Union, were two of the main kind of medium-sized uh, venues on the circuit. Now, did you ever leave Glasgow to see gigs out of town? Um, actually, <clears throat> not until I started. Not, not until I started touring, which was probably around about seventy five, seventy six. I started touring, and when I went to, uh, to when I was touring the UK at that time, I used to go to London a lot and do a lot of stuff down there, whether it be recording or TVs and some shows. And I saw a number of bands at Hammersmith Odeon at that time. I remember I saw the Commodores. Like, I think I saw the Commodores about twice, which I loved at that time, uh, and they were amazing. Lionel Richie. Yeah, yeah, he was in the Commodores, which yeah. was a completely different thing. Back oh yeah, then, I, I know, I know. You. Brickhouse, <laughs> and, right? Funky. Yeah, yeah, and it just oh, those, those first the Commodores albums were just brilliant, you know. And I still listen to them; they're still fantastic. Now, and the production—I love the production on them. Sure. Now, uh, you started in the racket as a driver? Yeah, basically, uh, oh, going going back now to, let's, I want to say, 70, I don't know, 72 or 3, I used to have a Lambretta scooter, you, you, you know, those the mods had. and, and Vespa? I, I was, well, I had a Lambretta. Okay. There was the Vespas and the Lambrettas. Those were the two, oh, okay. two scooters at the time. And I had a Lambretta. And anyway, there's a whole bunch of guys. We used to all meet up. There was about 15, six of us. We had Lambrettas, Vespas, whatever. And we used to just go and just drive around and all that kind of stuff. But you weren't and, mods. Uh, you weren't mods. Huh? You weren't mods. Yeah, it was kind of beyond the mod thing, though, at that time, you know, because people, like, well, I had really long hair. I had, like, shoulder-length hair. and But you're still wearing parkas just like the mods used to wear <laughs> okay. in the 60s, you know. But it was a different thing. and it was. Um, but you still, you had all these mirrors built up in, on, on the Lambrettas and long aerials and, and like, furry backrests and that <laughs> kind of stuff. 
<laughs> but it used to be great when it was like you're 15 or I don't know whatever a whole bunch you just riding through towns and it was just all peaceful you used to just go and do it for drives there was no looking for trouble or anything right. although trouble used to come our way sometimes Uh-oh. but um anyway some of those guys had a band together and they told me about it and so i just started going hanging out and seeing them on weekends when they used to play in bars and clubs and stuff yeah. and from there i started kind of helping them out with the gear kind of became the roadie when i became like 17 got my driving license i was the guy driving the van so i was driving the van pumping the gear setting drums up setting keyboards up setting guitar amps up learning how to tune guitars all that kind of stuff so and it just kind of progressed from there and eventually i got into doing sound a couple of years later and um I'm, cu- I'm curious what kind of van you know i'm into vans a little bit ford transit oh yeah that's what was over there when i first went there transit yeah that that that, that the original those were the kind of uh those those were the the transportation of choice at the time which was a long wheelbase transit yeah which was a, a double axle um uh, sorry double wheelbase so yeah it was just it would be split maybe like Front front driver and passenger seat. Then you'd put a, a, maybe a row of bus seats or something, or yeah. airline seats in the back, and then board, boarded up from there. And then behind that was all your gear. Yeah, that's how and, I do my econo lines. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that was, and there used to be like you know I don't know ten guys in there, and then all this gear and took completely <laughs> overloaded. But that was how we used to go and do stuff, well, you know. What, what about... You carried the back line and PA in there, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah, right. The PA too. People don't realize You used to carry like WEM, WEM, WEM columns and, you know, WEM Audio Master, WEM Copycat was it was the, 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 the effect unit. And that, that was kind of it, really. Now, driving a scooter and driving that transit. <laughs> a little different. Yeah. <laughs> little different. A little different. No, I want to play here. You know, remember that Tuller Current record? Live Stooges, Japan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we opened up. I didn't say what we started the show on, but we we did loose there. And John Coltrane doing Stare with Stars. Uh, I want to play Down the Street. We are the fucking Stooges down on the fucking street, baby.
Willie Sue's wallpaper. Tiger tab, plaid, foot, whisk broom, whisker, soot, reverser, rehearser, for the ow grab, tiger tab, bow tie, bow tie, uh, Flyby, rattlesnake, scale, shake, shut eye. Flat mattress, flat mattress. Well, I'm with a sun visor and a headdress. Well, I'm going to bed springs. I'm going to turn over the bed springs. And then, when I get down to Bed Springs, I'm going to disappear. And go off in the Bed Fringe. Yeah. What about the dust people that hid by the curtains? Sue was on a little pillar. Two inches long. On a silk pillar. On top of the mantle and by the fireplace just to keep her warm. Mm -hmm. Singing that charcoal song. Singing that charcoal song. That all those presto logs gonna make her be gonna make her be long. All that compress sawdust just to, just to keep her warm. Come have a cup of warm something. Right away. Make bowl of maniac meal. Bring me my scissors and devil's hot waters. The piteous Holt. to share your more with the much is uh, <laughs> it's like pulling a jello tooth out of an icing glass skull <laughs> god flower
sisters in August and it was Irene. She was the cutest and scientist I've ever seen. It was Ascot and Zelda in a drunken dream. They were frozen in time like an old magazine. It was so hard for me for me to see what was choosing.
Well, for Pedro show, yeah, down the street. I think Tulert Current. Chaos. Hey, yeah. Can I say, like, today, I don't know if this is going to affect things and you can edit this out if not, but it's Dave Alexander's birthday today. Oh, you know his name. David Michael Alexander. Yeah. My name, Michael David Watt. I know, I know. <laughs> anyway, he would have he would have been seventy three today. Yeah, and he had some great bass lines. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I owe him a lot. And I know Ronnie and Scotty dug him. Uh, I remember asking Nick about him. He said, "You better ask Scotty, uh, Ronnie, because he's his friend." Yeah. And then another time, he said, "You know, he had a Volkswagen, and I had a Volkswagen. You know, bug. Right. But he <laughs> didn't like it because I think he was the only dude with a car." <laughs> that's right. That's right. Apparently, he was the guy that had the the family with money, and he'd be That's car right. That's it. right. So, but uh, yeah, big big ups for you, Dave Alexander, and uh, uh, Cat Beefheart with some poetry there. Flat mattress, uh, good for cows. Brand new. Uh, Return to Abbey. Deer hoof. Brand new. Farewell Symphony. Barris Whitfield and the Savages. I'll be home someday. Recent. Alec Katz. This hasn't even come out yet. It wasn't me, not you. Case Salida from Black Flag with the rest of my days. Bilge Pump for Out of Leeds with Tilly's Balls in 1969 from that uh, Tokyo gig, 2004, Indian Stooges. So, now, you going from Glasgow to London, what about anything in between? <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, in terms of what? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, because maybe there wasn't a lot of, yeah. Was there a circuit or some kind of thing? No, I mean, I, I didn't go anywhere. I lived I lived in Glasgow up until uh, 1978, by which time I, I had toured um, a lot of the, all of the UK and toured a lot of Europe with one of the bands that I was working for, by, by which time, you know, I progressed through working with the various bands in Glasgow, all the kind of top-end bands, as it were, and uh, <clears throat> ended up working with, one kind of pop band who had a number one single in 1976 um, called Forever and Ever. The band was called Slick. Mid-Year oh. was in the band. The guy from uh, Ultravox. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, this is the year I graduate school. H Henry, you sitting on a, a paper sack or something? I'm hearing all this crunchy. Oh, sorry. No, I'm probably just moving. You'll love, it. You'll love it when you hear back on the show and you hear all this crunching. <laughs> I apologize. No, so, so what happens with the Slick? Uh, so yeah, I worked with them like let's say seventy five, I think, through seventy seven. Um, Midge left the band and got a call from Glenn Matlock, who was starting a band called the Rich Kids. Oh yeah. And uh, so Midge went off and joined the Rich Kids uh, and started touring with them. They released a single uh, and an album produced by Mick Ronson. Wow. And at that time, the, the remnants of Slick were a couple of guys who formed another band called The Zones in Glasgow. So I, I continued to stay and work with, work with them. Did for you about get to meet Mick Ranson? Yeah, yeah. I, what I, was he like, Henry? I, a lovely, lovely man. He yeah. was a beautiful man. Um, I couldn't say a bad thing about him. He didn't have a bad bone in his body. Just really, really lovely guy. Yeah, great musician, but I heard that he was really nice in person. Yeah, no, no, he was, for sure. <clears throat> so 
Anyway, Midge called me a few times and he came up and visited me and he said, I want you to come and work with rich kids, blah, 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 come and do this tour. And I, I wasn't really that interested to do it. I just, at that point, I was just kind of a bit disillusioned and didn't really want to continue in this music business stuff. <laughs> but anyway, he said, look, we've got a guy leaving, just come and fill in for a couple of weeks and um, help us out. And I went, okay, I'll do that. So I went on the road and I did this, it ended up being an eight-week UK tour of every club and shithole and university wow. in the UK. But right in the middle of the punk scene, this was probably uh, early 78. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, the excitement of doing those shows every night of sold-out gigs just gave me such a buzz, and I loved every minute of it. Even though I get gobbed on, I get pushed on. I just, It was just one of those things. <laughs> And it was just being part of something that was happening at the time made me feel good. And, and the, um, the difference between that and before was oh, the clean shows. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Very clean shows. Yeah, and, because you know, character apart, builder. Apart, yeah, it's hard it, to keep the morale yeah. up when you're playing character builders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, as I say, that just totally turned my whole thoughts around. And I thought, I love this. This is what I want to do. I want to do more of this. So I ended up um, a few months later moving from Glasgow to London and continued to work with the rich kids. Uh, and I was in and at the studio, and that's when I met Mick because Mick was, was, I think, was mixing some stuff and he was doing extra tracks. But anyway, I met him a few times, and he actually came on the road and did a few gigs with the rich kids playing guitar as well as Ian McLachlan from The Faces. So it was, it was quite oh, wow. a lineup, And I was doing front of house sound for all those guys back then, you know. Okay. Um, so that, that was a real buzz and a, a great thing to do. You got to mix Mick Ronson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I saw him actually, I saw him not long before he passed away. Uh, God rest him. I was working with Tin Machine with Bowie in 90... I think it was 91 or 92, and and Mick was living in Sweden at that time, in Stockholm, so he came down to the show and he was hanging out in the afternoon with David. So I got to, to see him again and meet up with him again, and that was the last time I saw him. I think, I can't remember what year he passed away, but it wasn't long after that. One of the guitar men was a guy named Reeves I got to meet. Reeves Gabriel, yeah. Boston. He's a lovely guy as well. Big Patrick. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's playing with the Cure guys. He is. He's with the Cure right now. Yeah, yeah. I saw him. Uh, I saw him about a year, year and a half ago. He came to the the Yeggy gig at Finsbury Park with Queens of the Stone Age, and uh, I, I was chatting to him for a while there. He has a Reverend yeah, gu- uh, oh. guitar and my Reverend uh, Watt Plower bass, the same company out of Toledo. Right, right, right. That's, that's how, right. That's how I met him. He's a sweet guy. So uh, you, you did run into the Dam, though, right? The Dan was much later. Well, I actually, I tell you, the Rich Kids management uh, were managing Rat Scabies at that time. Uh, the Damned had kind of let, they were, they'd come to the end. They'd either split up or Rat had left or fallen out of them. I can't remember which. But Rat had his own group called the Vicious White Kids. And I ended up working with him for a while as well. But I did go and work with the Damned. Later on, I think it was 80, 
85, I think it was, I worked with them oh, through wow. about 90, 91, when they did the Phantasmagoria album and it kind of relaunched their career. That's right, when I and the captain played guitar that. instead of bass. Well, captain was, wasn't even in the band at that time. Oh, wow, okay. It was uh, oh, two yeah, other guys. Oh, yeah, the captain guys. had some uh, crass records. Say he what? Had, hey, captain, yeah, he had, say what? He, he, had, he had his own kind of solo thing going on yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had the uh, happy talk was was his big number one. That's it. That's it. But he had something about hey captain say what hey captain. Yeah, yeah, that, that was another song. <laughs> okay, yeah. so what happens between then? I, then I jumped ahead too far. So between seventy eight right. and eighty five. <laughs> so, so seventy eight. The, yeah, the rich kids were kind of coming to an end. They were all sort of starting to fall out of each other. The egos between Matlock and Midge were getting a bit. Um, they were sort of clashing. So Glenn got a call, I think it was early 79, to uh, as a bass player for the Iggy Tour for New Values, the New Values Tour. So he went, I, I, I think he auditioned or something. Anyway, he got the gig and um, he, uh, he ended up bringing me on board because he didn't know everybody. He goes, if I can get you a gig on this tour, will you come and do this with me? And I thought, wow, we Iggy Pop, absolutely sure. Anyway, I went and had I had a meeting with the tour manager at that time, and I got the gig. And uh, so that was my first encounter with Iggy was April 1979. Okay. And the rest is history, as yeah, they say. absolutely, absolutely. Because <laughs> here I am. Yeah, um, here you are. And here we are. We're at the end of the first hour. Yeah. <laughs> June 3rd, 2020, just Peter Show. Special guest, Henry McGargan. Hold tight for hour two. June 3, 2020. It's the second hour and a lot for Pedro's show.
that seems to say, oh, I think it's something I really want to talk about without interruption. Yeah, I think it's something I really want to know about, but I know nothing. How it all started, I only mentioned to a friend I'm part of a kind of band. We showed each other our guitars and played in this fancy way. All the numbers we added seemed to say,
For Pedro Show, start off the second hour with uh, TVI Stooges Live Tokyo, um, and Alamites Lament from Karam out of Canada. The extract, all all this stuff's from Canada. Uh, Gregarious Phase, Killer on the Loose, the which is Red Mass featuring Rick Froberg, Mac DeMarco, Chris Burns with fan, fa, Fancy Parties, and then uh, back to Tokyo again, 2004 with the Stooges from Dirt. Yeah, I remember Scotty would uh, put water on his uh, floor tom. So when he did that big roll at the beginning, oh yeah, yeah, very dramatic. <laughs> yeah. So you start working with Ig. The first tour is the New Values. Yeah, nineteen seventy nine. Now, what was it like touring with Ig compared to all the other years of touring? Well, you know, it was um, it was kind of. To quote you, Econo, in some ways, certainly for the crew, certainly for the crew, anyway. Um, then let me let me tell you who was in the band. Uh, it was Scott Thurston was on keyboards and guitar. That's the guy from Attack KO, people. Yeah, and he ended up playing with Tom Petty right. uh, for for years and years. Um, he was a kind of MD. Klaus Kruger was playing drums. He was he played with Tangerine Dream. Yeah, uh, I think he's the guy was, on Soldier, right? Yeah, yeah, he 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 played on New Values and he played on Soldier. So uh, and then Glenn on bass and then Jackie Clark, God rest him, he was he was playing um, guitar. Okay. So with that that tour kicked off, I think April '79. It went on for about eight weeks throughout UK and Europe. Uh, band were travelling on a coach. We had one semi truck of production and backline, just the whole thing was in there. And the crew were five people, which was me, uh, front of house guy, monitor guy, lighting guy, and another on stage guy, and driving a Ford Cortina estate around Europe. That, a Cortina. that was what we did. <laughs> Ford Cortina estate. Yeah, we don't have them over like here, but they're, they're, the, they're the, tiny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it was a station wagon basically, but you know it's a little bit for five five guys in there, and as I say, we covered a hell of a lot of miles through Europe uh, in that car, and uh, we shared the drive, and I did a lot of the driving with one other guy. But um, I was kind of like the crew boss or something at that time, so I was doing the on stage backline. I was do, tuning guitars, setting up keyboards, and setting up drums, and looking after Iggy throughout his performance and doing. What Joss said ended up doing, running after him and straightening mic stands and pulling them at the crowd and <laughs> doing all that stuff. Well, so, when, do, when was when does Joss come aboard? Joss didn't come aboard until 80, 87, I think it was okay. eighty six or eighty seven. Okay, yeah, uh, and I got to tell you, people, listeners, this is the day of uh, uh, Carne. There was no EU yep. yet, so touring in Europe was it was intense. You could be hours yeah, at that border. Lots of currencies and a carne, so you were uh, yeah you were at the border. That the truck driver was at the border for as as long as it took him to get through it. And it could be hours. It could it could yep. it was intense. You know, it's still exciting to do and everything, but it's a reality. I don't think people. Well, it might be going back to that. Who knows? Yeah, from the UK, <laughs> it may well be. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I want to play here, uh, I want to be your dog. Yeah, and these days we used to do it twice. You don't want to do a fucking animal song! Ooh. Ooh. 
困っているとは言えないのではないでしょうか。
originally penned for tune by Mr. Peter Lockendella. Very fine culture. Maybe over your heads.
Watford Pedro show. Yeah, I want to be your dog. And now, this was the first time we did that evening. Uh, Stooges in Tokyo, 2004. Uh, in the doghouse from Few, Tokyo uh, experiment lady. Tripod Jimmy, that's got Tom Herman from Peru, who I've been uh, doing some songs with. Tommy Very Bad. Peter Lochner, a Cleveland guy, big part, early scene. I'm so fucked up. And then finally, Real Cool Time, live Tokyo. Again, the Stooges. So, that first tour, it was like, mm. this is happening. This is what I want to do. I mean, you wanted yeah, to tour yeah. besides you know, with, and, uh, with Midge and stuff. Well, halfway through that tour, um, uh, Iggy's manager at the time was a guy called Peter Davis, um, who's an ex-record company guy, lovely man. He uh, he asked me about halfway through, he just said, look, we love the work you're doing. Iggy loves the work you're doing. We want you to work with us after the tour's over. We're going to be recording a new album, uh, probably in Wales at Rockfield, and we'll be doing other pre-production in London. Would you help us set all that up and do rehearsals, record the rehearsals, etc., and, and then be around for the studio recording? So I said, absolutely, yeah, I'm in. So James was the producer of the, of New Values, as you know, and then he became the the producer or was was to be the producer of Soldier. Um, so we ended up rehearsing in London for a long time and I'd got a whole little recording set up where I'd record four track reel to reel in the afternoon in the rehearsals, then mix it down into two track uh, to a cassette and give that to James at the end of each day to take home and listen to. So we did that for a couple of weeks and then ended up went to Rockfield for, I don't know, whatever many weeks we were up there and started the record. And uh, people were talking about James Williamson, and it didn't work out good, though, right? No, it didn't work out. Um, a few things kind of happened along the way, and uh, Mr. David Bowie turned up uh, for a visit for a couple of days, and uh, James was pretty adamant that he does not get involved in any of the recording in any way or has any suggestions or to make. Um, which happened, and David managed to stay out of the way for a while until one time James was trying to get the band to, to play a certain thing, and then there was a chorus thing that nobody could get, so David went in and kind of took over and got everyone to do his kind of version of how he saw the song, and I think the song was called Play It Safe, uh, and that caused a bit of a ruck. James stormed at the session and the engineer took over um, who actually ended up producing the album Pat Moran who went on to become quite a famous producer right. and again he's no longer with us God yeah. rest him, cancer got him um, yeah, This was so kind of quite... out in the sticks right in Wales Yeah it's in um, Monmouth uh, so it's like over the bridge towards Newport I think it is and uh, well, you hang it right, go to Monmouth. So, uh, yes, it's like a farmhouse basically in the middle of nowhere, but okay. very, very well laid out. And it was live, live, living in accommodation, and they'd, you know, they'd bring in your food every day and stuff like that. But a great facility. And Simple Minds were recording in the, the other studio, and the other, I think the two studios. And they also had a mill house, which was um, 
they had a big live room, like a dining room, and their Simple Minds did some of their tracks down there with the Rolling Stones mobile. And then they moved up into the, the studio to finish it off the record. Now, but it still still operates to this day and still a lot of people record there. Wow. I think I think they just made a film of it recently and I think it's either just come out or about to come out. Now, how would you compare that work with tour work? Studio? Yeah. Um, oh, I mean completely completely different. Um, I mean if if you're used to being on the on the road and all the live stuff, it's it's you either love it or you hate it, I guess. I kind of adjusted because for me it was something something new to go and live in a residential studio and particularly the type of record we were doing, the type of people we were working with. And it was just all a learning process for me. So I was just like a sponge taking it all in and, and just trying to be part of the whole thing. So I, I really enjoyed it. Okay. And, um, you know, after that was, uh, he went off to do the American tour, support new values. I think it was in uh, November. So, I went on to become Iggy's front of house sound engineer on that tour. And this is the one so where David this, Bowie was playing some uh, organ, uh, keyboard? No, no, he, he, that was 77. He did the idiot tour. Oh, okay. that, was, that was before my that's time. That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah. But so, David would, would pop in and out from time to time to shows, you know. Okay. So frequently. But the, the, the band, okay. Iggy's band changes up, right? He gets Ivan? Yeah, it changed at that time. It even changed from the rehearsals in London to the recording to the end of the recording to going out on the road. So it started with uh, Klaus on drums, Glenn on bass, um, Steve New on guitar, who was also in the Rich Kids, and Barry Andrews on keyboards, who was XTC originally. Right. Uh, he didn't want to go on the road to do the live thing. He finished the album. Steve finished the album. Ivan, Ivan ended up turning up towards the end of the session, um, I believe, at Soldier in Rock, Rockfield. Okay. And I think he ended up playing on a couple of things. Um, and then from there, he became... Steve, Steve had a bit of a fallout. He didn't want to do the tour either. Ivan then became uh, sort of guitarist, keyboards to cover rhythm and what Barry was going to be doing. And then they needed a lead guitarist. So Brian James was brought in for that from the damned. From the dam, yeah. So that was the band for America was Brian James, Glenn, Klaus and Ivan. So we ended up, we toured about six weeks, North America. Uh, now you're talking on, about on a the, lot of personalities. Oh, <laughs> doing, yeah, yeah, doing your work, Henry, and you're juggling these personalities, right? <laughs> yeah, there were uh, there were quite a bunch of personalities indeed, but at the same time, yeah. I mean, they all, they certainly when it when it got to the stage part of things, there was definitely a lot of egos up there. Um, but you know, off stage and the downtime, there was a lot of camaraderie and there was a lot of social time spent with each other. So there was a good kind of, a good sort of feeling, at least within the touring party um, and traveling. So it, it wasn't like any high tensions or anything. It was still relatively pleasant to do. Right, right. Because I can imagine with all the other stuff and then there's that. Yeah, and you had, you had the odd girlfriends tagging along and, 
girlfriend stroke photographers and so you know you know how all those things go as well <laughs> there's the, the the extra baggage show with the the posse <laughs> <laughs> the posse so um when we get into what the late 80s no, uh, no, no, you no, went to the damn thing. We're only in the end of 79 at this point. Oh, Christ, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> so, I know in the middle of the 80s, you go back and work with the damn guys. Yeah, yeah, when when Iggy took a bit of a sabbatical, 83, um, I, I had to find some other work for a couple of years. So I ended up uh, working with the damned, I think, 85 at I toured some for about a year or so with a flock of seagulls, would you believe? Whoa, I remember those guys. <laughs> yeah, which was also very interesting in many ways. Um, and then it... I ended up going, uh, the dam gave me a call and I went to work with them, which again, gave me another lift and a boost of 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 how enjoyable life touring could be <laughs> and uh, what was going on, you know. You think it, so, uh, it really matters on the band, right? It's not just like one size fits all. No, it definitely isn't one size fits all. I mean, it, it, you know, it, what your own personality is and, and what, what you are and what you like as well and what you like to be around is one thing. But, um, you know, if you're, you're working with a whole bunch of people, A, you love the music. Yeah. Uh, love hanging out with them. You love what they're doing. It just makes everything so much more enjoyable, of course, you know. Right. Uh, I've never... Very few times I've had to actually do work where I've had to say, "Oh, I got to do this for the money," and I and I don't really want to do it, and I'm embarrassed to be associated. Like kind of punching the clock. I've tried to stay away from all of that, you know. So it's only I've I've been very fortunate. It's only ever happened to me a couple of times. I think in the movie, uh, like you, you could, you don't have to use your name, right? It's Alan Smithy or something. <laughs> You don't want yeah. that. You're, yeah. You can pick this like generic name because you're embarrassed to be associated. <laughs> sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I know by the early '90s you're back touring with Ig, right? He's back. Well, by 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 '87, '86 actually, when okay. he um, when he uh, recorded his first uh, his first album coming relaunch again, shall we say, which right. he did with David again, which was blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, that's when I came back on board. I mean, throughout his whole sort of period of getting well, shall we say, you know, we stayed in touch and, and you know, we would speak a lot. So he kept me informed what he was doing and what was going on and stuff. So it was kind of nice in that respect. So uh, I, I got the call from his new managers at that time to let me know the, what was happening when the tour was starting up again and, you know, they wanted me to be back on board and stuff. So, so yeah, so 86, I was back on board. 87, um, he took a break in, I think, 88, where I went into working with a management company who looked after The Fall. So I worked with them for a little while and John, John Martin as well. Oh, wow, The Fall. Yeah. Wow. So that was the time Brick Smith was in the band when she was married to Mark. Around about the I Am Curious Orange album. Okay. Do you know that? I kind of know they, it they, up to grotesque and I fell off. But They, they did music for uh, for Michael Clark Dance Dance Company, which was a live dance. Sorry. They played the live music to, uh, to, to, to dance, contemporary dance, basically. So they did a world premiere, I think it was Amsterdam, where the band played uh, way downstage. Uh, sorry, upstage, 
and uh, behind the dancers, and uh, it was pretty interesting concept, but it worked really well. <laughs> I wish I could have saw it. Look, we're at the end of the second hour, June third, twenty twenty. Dishwat Peter Show special guest Henry McGrogan. Hold tight for hour three. June 3, 2020, it's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro show. No fun! No fun! This is fucking Tokyo, baby! Big fucking tea, baby, baby! No fun, baby! Open the doors! I want some fucking air! Air! Give me air! Wake up!
to take a second look. Fair hair and a great customer service. Curly brown hair, Rob, hair, Rob bone and rosy cheeks. A looker in a way. Charmed, I am sure. I feel like an old man, though. Slower, but still having fun. Something I would appreciate a certain look from a woman. The attention of someone. I wonder what kind of life she has. With the uniform tossed aside and the hair finally down. What kind of woman would be non-judgmental and welcome my lack of experience? Let us look again at women. And I love my pinecone waitresses. I am so independent, but I like you. You carry me around in a certain sort of way, but I'm always... Uh, anyways, I'm old. So it is all very cool to justify someone's existence by appreciating them as you can. You just made me think again. <laughs>
Scott for Pedro Show. Start off the third hour with no fun. Indian Studios in Tokyo, 2004. Shibuya X. Place with no time. Return to whatever. It's featuring the late, great Richard Derrick here. In honor of him. Joe Brewer. Out of Madison with a poem, Double Vision. Finally, 1970. I feel all right. Maybe in the Stooges. Back with Henry McGrogan. I, I get to meet you in 2003 at Coachella. Yep. Actually, it was in Hollywood. At the it was in Hollywood at, um, SIR. at uh, that rehearsal place. What, what was it called? SIR. Um, no, it wasn't SIR. It was the other one. Oh, it wasn't? Okay. I thought it was uh, on Sunset Boulevard. No, it was, it was the other one. What was it called? Oh, it's, I can't remember. My mind's gone a blank. It's moved now. They're not there anymore. They moved somewhere else. But we used to swing house, swing house. Oh, swing house. Oh, okay. Because the swing house yeah. I was at was with, with James Williamson. And But but, but anyway, uh, uh, I get to meet you there. But this is 2003. So you've been touring yeah. with Egg for like 10. And this is like his solo band. And it ended yeah. up with Whitey and his brother and stuff. Yeah, I mean that that during that period, I was kind of uh, in and out. I was I was kind of involved from a distance and wasn't really on the road as much. I would pop in and out from time to time. Um, but yeah, that was that was uh, a whole different ball game with Whitey and uh, whoever else was in the band at that well, Larry, time. Larry for, his brother. for a bunch, right? Larry, Larry, uh, Mullins. well. Larry was yeah he was way before I, I was touring when Larry was still around. It's when when a lot of changes happened with Whitey and Pete Marshall. I think Hal was still playing bass and uh, Whitey's brother, as you say, Alex, another one who's not with us. God rest him. Um, so yeah, I was kind of in and out of all of that because I was doing other things. So, did you hear about me and Jay playing with the Ashton Brothers? Yes, yes, I'd heard about that. Okay. And, uh, you know, I was on tour with my second man, and he called me in Tallahassee. Told mm. me, Ronnie said, you're the guy. It blew me away. So I go there, and we do that gig, and that's the first of 125 months I get to do. Yeah. Well, I remember when um, when they told me it was happening, and I just said, I've got to be there. <laughs> no matter what, I've got to be there. So Art, who again, his manager at the time, I God rest him, he's no Art longer Collins, with us. Great guy. Um, Art called. He said, "No, you got to be there." So myself and Joss, we flew out to Los Angeles, and um, yeah, rehearsal was the first time I met you and, and, and Eric Fisher as well. I think it was. Yeah, who ended but up the road boss? When you ended up, when you guys started playing those songs. I just melted. <laughs> I mean, the the hairs stood up in the back of my neck and my arms. I thought, God, finally I'm hearing these songs, how they should be played, after all these years of his other bands playing the songs, which sounded okay. But when the Ashton Brothers yeah, and Ashton. yourself wow. just kicked in with those, I just, it would just blew me away. I was just like, this is it. This is how it should be. This is fantastic, you know? And, you know, I had done a lot of tours and, stuff and but getting to play with you guys and be and it wasn't uh, of course Ashton Brothers and Ig beautiful brother Steve but you and Josh man I, I'd never really toured like that yeah and uh, you know I helped the porno guys out I had actually met Eric Fisher he was doing that for Jay Mascus but I only helped That's out right. a couple of bands before I'd never done that work uh, side, yeah. side man 
And yeah. I got to tell you, it was a real honor to get to work with you and Josh. And, and at that time, Rick Hart, and later yeah. on with Max, a beautiful guy. Yeah. I mean, and, and Andrew and people that you would bring in. Man, you never brought in flaky people. Was, no, they were all good people. People we've known through the years who we knew personality-wise would fit in. Plus, they were just good at what they did, you know. Absolutely. And uh, and, and and Eric, I'm so blessed to have met Eric. He still works with us to this day. Yeah. And uh, he's he's such a great guy. He really is. Man, and I never, you know, I never had any experience with that, and except for like hearing bad rumors. And, yeah. And then to actually do it with guys that were fucking happening, I was so grateful. So grateful yeah. to you guys. I mean, it made huge, huge impression on me. Uh, I'm going to play the last music for this edition.
down. Take it down.
For Pedro Show, last music for this dish in Funhouse, Iggy Stooges, Live in Tokyo 2004, Bark. Now, some Knoxville stuff. I've been having a lot of them bands on the show lately. Home, a uh, little bitch, and aside from Old Man Fuck You, uh, Midnight Bomber Without Bombs at Midnight, <laughs> La Salle de Sang, uh, El Tren Fantasm. This is part four or five of uh, Alvaro Domine and Henry Kaiser. Henry does a lot of uh, skin diving in Antarctica for work. And then finally, Little Doll. Now, this ain't the one. This is Tokyo one. But the one at the... God, what was that called? Lowland F- Festival. I got knocked over. I kept playing. <laughs> I didn't stop. Yeah, I know. I just told you someone about that the other day. Uh, funny enough, but I remember that. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, yeah. Uh, after 2 was very heavy. But... Uh, yeah. yeah, in the back room and a big talk and Ig stuck up for me. And here's the guy, you know, everybody thinks uh, wanted to kill me. I know he wanted to work the show and shit, and I shouldn't have been out that far starboard anyway. But uh, I didn't I didn't stop playing. Even when I hurt my knee, I didn't stop playing. I love Stooges so much. Now, 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 now Henry, uh, you've been living in Warsaw. How long now? Uh, 20, 21 years. Okay. <laughs> so, you want to say anything? I mean, because last time you were talking about living, it was in London, right? No, no. Uh, well, the I thought you said you moved from Glasgow to London. Well, yeah, yeah, London, but and and then I uh, moved to um, to the country. I moved further uh, south to a place called Hesmanzu, which was a small village in East Sussex near the coast. So I was pretty much in that area um, until about ninety, end of ninety seven, ninety eight. Split with my first wife. And then relocated to uh, to Warsaw um, at the end of ninety seven, ninety eight. So yeah, that's actually twenty twenty two years. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then in Warsaw, you got a company CEO. Yep, we formed in two thousand and oh God, what was it three or five? I can't remember. Okay. I think two thousand and five. I think it was. Um, anyway, yeah. So uh, yeah, we just had to start a company here with my partner Anya. She her background was a record label. She worked with Warner. Um, she knew a lot about live live stuff as well. So we just kind of um, thought we'd try and promote Polish artists uh, abroad, as it were, at that time. So we get involved with a couple of bands, a band called Mislovitz, um, who actually opened up for the Stooges a couple of That's times. Right. Um, uh, helping them out as well as uh, a couple of other bands that we tried to along the way and then we ended up managing Scalpel who were signed to Ninja Tune at the time, Electronic Duo and then most recently Zamilska, again Electronic uh, she's more of a producer um, uh, and 
Yeah, I need, to, I need to send you some of our music. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> and, and people want to know about you. We were doing sort of booking agents yeah. as well. So we were booking agent for Marianne Faithful for about uh, five, five or six years, maybe even more. Um, also, uh, Irish band Clanad, Portuguese battle singer. Uh, so, yeah, lots of pretty versatility in terms of uh, what we were doing. And, yeah, Marianne just, just made it through the COVID yeah, thing. She right. was... Uh, God, God love her. She's, uh, she's, she, she's a fighter. And if people want to find out, it's CEO.org, right? Uh, CentralEuro.org. That's it. Central Euro. Central Euro. C-E-N-T-R-A-L-E-U-R-O.org. Yep. Central and then Euro like the currency.org. CentralEuro.org. Right. Yeah. Henry, man, it's been a great honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for asking me. And I want, well, like I was saying, getting 125 months served with you, beautiful. And, 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 and you know, you keep on keeping on. You're an inspiration to me. And like well, I said, I, I, said I, I want to keep on keeping on. And that's what I say to everybody else as well. So, you know, it's uh, I will keep on keeping on until I can't keep on anymore. So the wheels fall off? There you go. <laughs> it's been the June 3rd, 2020 edition of Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.